as I, uh, as I watched the kids, I just couldn't help thinking about how clueless I was at their age and how far they are ahead of me. Uh, when the, the Bible is uh, either missing from your life or shoved down your throat or banged over your head, you tend not to listen to it like the greatest story ever told. And I, I couldn't help thinking those kids heard the story come through the side door so that 20 years from now, they may forget everything they ever learned in sermons, but they'll remember the music, they'll remember the images, and they'll be talking about what it's like to really be hungry and how God can feed thousands of people. Our prayer is that that'll happen for you too. This season between now and Easter, we're talking about hunger. What are you hungriest for? And we're using the images found in the meals of the Bible to talk about times when there was an overabundance of food and times when there wasn't enough to look into our hearts and say, what are we really hungry for? So last week, Carrie told the story in the Old Testament of a woman who literally was starving to death, had no food, and at the very end of her rope, learned to trust God for just one more meal and then just one more meal, and it changed her life. And today's story has 5,000 people hungry, and it says, when he saw the crowd, Jesus had compassion on them. You know, the thing is, the only thing Jesus never sees is a crowd. He doesn't see a crowd because he knows who Tim is, and he knows Irma, and he remembers Sam. And each one of those stories is somebody who's hungry or confused or anxious or guilty, or maybe it's not them, it's somebody that they love that's hungry, and they can't feed them. You know, there's only, uh, of all the miracle stories in the Bible, there's only four, I'm sorry, there's only two that appear in all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only have two where the same story appears in all four. The one you can imagine is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That one's in all four of the Gospels. The other is the story the kids tried to learn and tried to tell us, the feeding of the 5,000. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in different places. And I thought that I'd read it the old-fashioned, boring adult way, just for a second. Hearing that Jesus had left town by boat, the crowds followed him on foot. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he, he healed the sick. As evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This is a terribly remote place. It's getting late. Please send the crowds away so they can go back to their villages and buy some food. But Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we only have two loaves of bread and five fish, which they had taken from some kid in the crowd. Jesus said, bring the fish to me. And he told the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the loaves and the fish, he looked up to heaven, and he gave thanks for what was in his hands. And he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. And everybody ate, and they were satisfied. And at the end, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. 
There were about 5,000 men that day who were fed, plus women, plus children. That's the story that appears in all of the different accounts of Jesus. Now, I'd like, since the kids have really told us the story well, I'd like to make just one point and then talk about application. Because one of the things you need to tell the kids, whether you're your own kids or your grandkids, your nieces, nephews, friends, is it really is not how much of the Bible that they read that counts or that they understand that counts or that they agree with that counts. It's what they do with what they understand. So I'm going to give you an assignment, a takeaway on the story we've read. The only thing I wanted to say about this story is that it's clear that Chuck Swindoll was right. He says, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. A series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. This is an impossible situation, but the key is not the problem. The key is who is there with us to solve the problem. Because what the disciples see as a problem, Jesus sees as an opportunity. I need to remember that. What I see as an impossible problem, God somehow sees as an opportunity for me to learn something I never would if I could manage it. And in the story, it says, when we are thankful, when we give thanks for what we do have, not for what we don't have, but for what we do have, when we're thankful for that and thank God for it, God uses it to bless other people. That's the only point I wanted to draw out. The kids have shown you lots of others. The action steps, though, uh, there's two steps I'd like you to take. The first one is that the main emphasis in this story is on the meal. Do not settle for the meal. Find the cook. The important thing is not the meal. The important thing is the, the cook. The people who are excited about the meal but what they needed was the cook. The, the next story that happens after John talks about the feeding of the 5,000, the next thing he says is a couple days later, Jesus turned to the crowd and, and said, I tell you, you're not looking for me because you saw the marvels I performed. You're looking for me because you ate the food and you were stuffed. Don't work for food that spoils. Look for food that leads to eternal life which only the Son of God can give you. Don't settle for the meal. Find the cook. Some of you are stuffed. And when we are comfortable, we tend not to look for the cook. We tend to do it on our own. Some of you are hurt or angry or starving or lonely or anxious. And what you want is somebody to fix your problem. And to you, I say, find the cook wherever you are. That's action step number one. Do you know the cook? The second thing is um, what the disciples saw as a problem, Jesus saw as an opportunity. Now what I think he should have done, I think he should have just snapped his fingers and boom, Thanksgiving turkey meal in front of everybody, 5,000 people. They would have had the turkey and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and the wine. But he didn't do that, did he? Instead, He got the disciples into the game. He said, well, what do you have? Let's work with what you have. 
It reminded me of the story I was reading this last month about uh, the early NBA. Uh, Philadelphia is playing Boston, and uh, uh, a rookie gets into the game for Philadelphia. And he's running around like crazy. It's his first NBA season. He runs around, and he gets one rebound. One rebound. That is not the headline of the story. The headline of the story is that in the same game on his team, Wilt Chamberlain is playing, and he gets 55 rebounds for an NBA record. That's what the story of the newspapers was. But what happened was that the rookie called his mom and said, Hey, Mom, Wilt and I got 56 rebounds. (laughs) That's the way God wants to work with us. God is thrilled when we get one rebound, or even when we just show up and get on the court. God is a lot more happy with those children than you and I are. The proudest grandpa is here. God loves it that they stepped forward. The first time God seems to bless a peculiar person is with Abraham. He promises Abraham, I'm going to bless you and all your descendants, and I'm going to bless you so you can bless the world. You are blessed. You're fed. You are to bless and help feed other people. So here's our action step for the week. I'd like you to invite somebody to a meal, to share what you've been given and invite them to a meal. But maybe it's just a cup of coffee. Uh, Maybe it's having somebody over for just a casual dinner. Maybe it's going out to eat. But invite somebody, a friend, a family member, get together, and at that meal, just say one thing that you're thankful for. Don't make it a big deal. Just say one thing that you're thankful for because you have been blessed, and now you have the chance to bless others. See what God does with that small beginning. And the reason for this is that there's a spiritual corollary here. In, the, in our musical, who was the Old Testament figure that Jesus was like when he fed the people? Who was he like? He was like Moses, right. In the story where the people from Egypt are fleeing, uh, people from Israel are fleeing Egypt, they're out in the wilderness, they're starving, and Moses prays and God sends manna. Remember manna from heaven? They got it every single day. Manna literally means, what is this stuff? And they ate the stuff. But remember what happened when they saved the manna? They held it overnight. You remember what happened? It rotted during the night. And there were bugs crawling out of it in the morning. When you and I are blessed and we don't learn how to share, then things get stale and begin to rot. And we never have enough. But when we look at what God has given us, even us if it's only a little, and we share our coffee or our dessert or our meal, and we say something we're thankful for, the food doesn't rot anymore, and God multiplies it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, not just for this story of hope, of impossible circumstances, but I thank you that when you are all we have left, you are all that is needed, that you are faithful, that you love these children, that you love all the kids that saw this, that you want to remind each one of us 
who hunger that when we turn to you, you offer us something. Maybe not all we wanted, but all we really needed for that day. Then you teach us to share with someone else. And together we give thanks. In the name of our loving Savior. Amen.